Hey, we're going to finish up Philippians today, like I said a while ago, and, and uh, we're finishing the book here, and, and it's the, the last part. Remember I told you before, this is a letter that Paul wrote, and, and it's a letter he wrote while he was in prison, and so this last part is like the conclusion of the letter, and so you see where he's starting to thank some people for some things and, and those kinds of things, and, and while he's doing that, he, he touches on a subject that for a lot of you, a lot of us maybe, it's kind of a touchy subject in church, and so I'm just going to warn you, we're going to dive right into it today, and, and uh, so if you don't like talking, and if you haven't looked ahead, you're looking right now, what is Cliff talking about? And, uh, but it's, we're in Philippians 4, 15 through 23, so you can go ahead and get your, your app turned on or turn in your Bible to Philippians 4, 15 through 23. The, um, it, it always is amazing to me about how different we are as human beings and how we naturally gravitate towards certain things or how we have natural abilities in certain areas. And so those of you that have raised kids, you'll, you'll know that it's just kind of an amazing thing where you've got these two kids, so they've got the same DNA from both parents. They were raised in the same house, and it seems like one of them is really great at one thing and the other one is terrible at that same thing, and it doesn't make any sense. And that, that always has been amazing to me. And some of you... Maybe you uh, grew up and you were just, you were naturally athletic and whatever, if it had a ball involved in it, volleyball, football, golf, baseball, you just were able to do that naturally. Some of you, it might have been music and uh, you, you, once you picked up an instrument, it seemed like you could play it and you could pick up other instruments. Um, whether, whether some of you are great at math or, or literature or, or whatever it might be. <coughs> and it's amazing how that seems to happen. And, and then there's sometimes that though it, it, there's, it becomes a struggle for us when there are things that the Bible tells us to do, things that we read that are the teachings of the gospel, and it tells us to do, and we realize as we read that, you know, I'm just, that's just not natural to me. That's, in fact, that's something as I read it, I know that it's going to be a real struggle for me to do that. And, and when I was growing up, and for a long part of my life, I had a problem that maybe some of you have uh, or had. I, I had a problem that being generous and giving away money or really anything else that I had my hands on, it didn't come natural to me. And all through the Bible I read where it talks about giving and God talks about giving 10% and all these kinds of things. And, and that, never, that never was something that came natural to me. Even when I was a little kid, my, my mom likes to tell the story about how when I was a little kid, my, my sister is two years younger than me, and we'd both get a little bit of money. However kids get money, we would get some. And I would have my money put in my room somewhere. Now, I wasn't spending it, but I certainly wasn't giving it away. And it was going to be mine, and I was going to pile it up, and I guess just sleep on it one day and have a big pile of money and be happy about that. My sister, on the other hand, she would get her money, and within the week she would spend it, but she didn't spend it on herself. She'd buy something for me, she'd buy something for my parents, and she couldn't wait to give her money away, to get rid of it and to spend it on other people. And I was the exact opposite of that. I wanted to have it as much as I could, which when you're seven years old is kind of cute. It's not as cute when you're 27 or you're 37 and you still have that mindset. And maybe, maybe that's where you are. And, and maybe even right now, when I start talking about money and giving it away, you're thinking to yourself, Man, if I'd have known Cliff was talking about that today, I'd have just stayed home. And there might be some of you in here right now, even that you would admit, if you were honest, if you were here by yourself, if your husband or wife wasn't sitting there with you, or if you didn't, you hadn't dropped your kids off back in the back with Freedom Kids, 
You would admit it, you right now, you'd get up and you'd like hold your stomach and walk out, make us all think you were sick. And you really are kind of sick. You're kind of sick to your stomach because I'm talking about money. And we don't like to talk about money. And in fact, sometimes people think that the church should never talk about money. Well, the Apostle Paul, when he ends the book of Philippians, this whole last section, he's talking about money. But he's talking about some things that this church at Philippi had done for him. So let's read this together. Philippians 4, 15 through 23. Paul says this. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So as we begin this section uh, here at the end of this letter, we get to verse 15. Paul is just, he's thanking this church for participating in his ministry through giving. And we, we've talked about, as we've been reading Philippians for the last couple of months and studying it, we've talked about the fact that Paul seems to have a, a great fondness for this church. That as, as he writes this letter, and when you read it, you can see that he cares about these people deeply. And I think in verse 15, we see probably one of the reasons why that is, because it says there in verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So here you have Paul, he, he's beginning this new ministry, and, and, and he's, he's decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave and I'm going to go all over the world. I'm going to go as far as I can go, and I'm going to take the gospel, I'm going to preach the gospel, I'm going to start as many churches as possible. And out of all the people who heard him share that vision, heard him talk about what he was wanting to do, the very first people that said, you know what, Paul, we believe in that. We believe in what you're doing. In fact, we believe in it so much, we're going to give you money to help you to be able to do that. And so, so that's one reason why this church had such a special place in Paul's heart, because they were early adopters of his ministry. They were the ones that, that they, they gave from the very beginning. And there's a couple of things about the church at Philippi that, that strike me about how they give, which is very different than the way we give today. And, and the first one is there in, in verse 15 again, where it says, you know that in the beginning of the gospel... Now, this, to keep this in mind. This means that, that the gospel was a very new thing. Jesus had, had been on earth, and, and he had shared uh, what it meant to follow him, and people did follow him, but we know that, that it was still a fairly small religion. It was still a fairly, uh, it was kind of an outlier group of people. But then through the ministry of Paul and the ministry of others, it, it began to get more and more uh, it began to grow more and more. And so Paul is saying that at the very beginning, when these people in Philippi, when they began to, to follow Jesus, that immediately they started to give. Now, that's not the way we do it today. Here, here's what happens today in church. We treat giving like it's some kind of 
uh, advanced Christian skill that you, you can't do right off the bat. I mean, we, we believe, you know, if people get, you accept Jesus, you, you're, you're not following Christ, you're far from Him, and, and something happens and you give your life to Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden, you, the first things that you start to do, or these are not bad things, these are good, but the first things you do are like, okay, I need to be in church. It looks like a lot of people are in church and I need to be there to grow, and maybe you get involved in a life group, and uh, maybe you even start to serve somewhere, and, and you start reading your own Bible and all that kind of stuff, but you're not yet giving because giving is like something that, like old, mature people been following Jesus a long time do. We treat it like it's some kind of advanced skill. It's like, a, it, it's like the, the calculus of Christianity. You know, when I was going through school, I mean, all of us learned math in school, right? Or maybe we didn't learn it, but we were in the class. And so when you're in school, we all went through addition and subtraction and all those kinds of things first. And, and, and we strug- I, I struggled with those, and some of y'all got them easily, and, and we went through that kind of stuff. And then you, you move up, and then you start doing algebra, and they put letters in there with the numbers, and then you do geometry, and you got, you got protractors and compasses and all that kind of stuff. And then if you're, if you're able to keep going, then all of a sudden you start to do like calculus. And one time I remember I was talking to a kid who was super smart, and, and uh, he was talking about math, and I said, well, what math are you in? Are you in like calculus or something he said no i'm doing discrete math and i was like what the heck is dis- is that math that doesn't take its clothes off unless it's in a room by itself is being really discreet i had no idea i still don't know what discrete math is but i know this that kid had gotten to an advanced level of math that i never got to and see sometimes when it comes to giving we we treat that as like that's some kind of advanced christian skill not just anybody can do it now, if you're just starting to follow Jesus, we don't really expect you to give yet. We just expect you to show up and start to learn. But one day, if, if, if you st- keep following Jesus, Jesus will work in your heart. And one day, you'll really be convicted. And then you'll start giving. It'll happen a long time ago. It'll probably happen after your kids have moved out. Because you know Jesus doesn't really expect you to give when you have kids. Because you know why? Because kids want to take all your money. And so you need to give it to them. And so one day, once your kids are married, once your girls, you've paid for weddings, once you've, you've paid for college, you've paid for braces, you've given them cars, you finally got them to move out of your house. And so now your kids are 55. They just moved out of your house. And, and, and you're 85. And, and you got like three years left to live. Now it's time to start giving. And that's kind of the way we treat giving. Like it's this advanced Christian skill. But you notice that that's not what the church at Philippi did. Paul said from the very beginnings of the gospel. From day one, you, you were a believer and then you immediately said, everything I have is, is belongs to Jesus and you started to give it like you were supposed to. And then I love the next part, verse 16 there, because this also indicates something that's a little different than sometimes the way we give today. He says there in verse 16, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now here's what you need to understand. Thessalonica is the place that Paul went after he was in Philippi. So Paul was in Philippi. He started the church. People got excited about the gospel. They started to give. They, they, they gave to him. They gave to his ministry. And then it says that even, Paul says, even when I was in Thessalonica, in other words, after I left, guess what they did? They continued to give. You know what they didn't do, which happens a lot of times in church today? They didn't say, well, the pastor's gone. I'll start giving when we get a new pastor, and we'll see how things are kind of going. But until then, I'm going to hold back. Or... They're not singing the kind of music I want, so until they do, I'm going to hold my money back. Or I don't, they need to do more for kids. They need to do more for teenagers, so I'm going to give my money to this nonprofit organization over here, but I'm not going to give it to the church until they start doing things the way I think they should do it. They, the church at Philippi wasn't like that. 
They said, we're supposed to give, we're supposed to support Paul in this ministry, so we're going to continue to do that, even though he's gone. Even though they may not have ever gotten to see him again. Even though, the, because of the way technology was, they couldn't get daily, weekly updates, but they trusted that Paul was doing what God had told him to do, and they believed that that's where they were supposed to give their money, and so they continued to do that. See, one of the things that, that the people in Philippi understood, and one of the things that, that Paul wants us to understand and if we can get this it will totally change the way we feel about giving and that is this that when you give everybody wins when you give everybody wins one of the things that we say all the time around here when we talk about giving and we say it a lot when we're getting ready to take up the offering and, and we're talking about that we say this we say that we want you to give because we don't want something from you. We want something for you. Isn't that a neat little phrase? We don't want something from you. We want something for you. You know, Donnie and I are really smart, and we came up with that all on our own. Did you know that? It was a totally new idea. One day we sat down, and we said, hey, what are we going to do to help people give? And we said, we need to come up with something. No, listen, we're not smart enough to come up with that on our own. You know where that idea comes from? It comes from the Bible. Look in Philippians 4, 17. Look at the next verse. This is exactly what Paul is saying. He's just saying it a little differently. He says this, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to whose credit? To your credit. So, so here's what Paul is saying. He said, listen, I, I'm not, I don't want you to give just so that I can benefit from it. Now, Paul did benefit from their gifts. Look in verse 18. What does he say in verse 18? He says, I have received full payment. So Paul benefited, right? I've received full, full, full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul says, I've benefited from your gift. But he's saying, I don't want you to give just so that I can benefit. I want you to give so that you can also experience a benefit from giving. He says that I want you to give so that the fruit will increase to your credit. See, when, when we give, everybody wins. When the, when the church at Philippi gave what they were supposed to give, Paul benefited from it, they benefited from it, and also the people who had not yet heard the gospel, they were the real beneficiaries of the gift because now Paul was able to continue to go. He was able to take the gospel to places it had never been taken before. But what the, what the situation that, that, that they began to understand, which is true, is that every time we give, that, that we're not just giving, it's not just the, to the benefit of the person that gets it, it's also to our benefit because we're making an investment in heaven. That there's, a, there's an account, there's a, a, a portfolio in heaven that we're investing in that one day we're going to get to cash in on. It would be like, um, uh, I, I, I pay Duke energy money every month does anybody else pay duke energy money every month yes i do that and i'm glad to do it and here's why i pay duke energy every month and the reason i'm glad to do it is because i receive something for what i pay for my lights are on i woke up this morning it was warm in my house i had hot water i can well i can't sherry can turn on the oven and cook something if i did it would taste terrible uh but with the, with the microwave works or for all that stuff works because I pay Duke Energy every month. So I receive something for that. Now, what do they receive? Well, they're able to stay in business. They're able to pay their employees. That's good for the economy. So it's a good situation. Now, imagine this. Imagine if every month when I paid Duke Energy, not only did I receive the benefit, 
of having lights and heat and air conditioning in the house. But they were taking part of my money and they were investing it in an account that was earning interest for me. And, and they were doing that every faithfully every single month when I give. And, and they, they let me know, listen, we want you to know we're investing in this and you're going to die one day. And when you die, your relatives are going to automatically receive, they're going to be able to cash in on this investment that we've made for you. That'd be a pretty cool deal, wouldn't it? In fact, that's a great business plan. Some, somebody ought to think of doing that and, and you'd be able to get a lot of business. But, but that, so, so I'm receiving a benefit now. They're receiving a benefit from my gift. And then I'm also going to receive a benefit later on. That's exactly what Paul is saying happens when we give. When you give to the church, right? Here's the deal. When you give to the church, you just put money in this bucket that came around. I hope you did. If you didn't, you can give at the end of the service. And, and we will let you, or you know what you can do? You can give online. That's what a lot of people do. But when you, put, when you give online or when you put money in that bucket when it comes around, you're receiving an immediate benefit because you're here today. These lights, this, these equipment up here, the stuff that's going on with Freedom Kids, the stuff that happens Wednesday nights with our students, the fact that we have an office, all those kinds of things, you're, you're paying for that. So you're receiving a benefit by giving immediately when you give. But what else is happening is you're also, when you give faithfully and you give what God has told you to give, you're also making an investment in an account in heaven that one day you're going to die and you're going to cash in on that when you arrive. That's why Paul says there in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Every time you give, that account increases. And so when you give, yes, we're benefiting from that. The church is. I benefit from that. My salary gets paid by what you give. Donnie's salary gets paid by what you give. But you're receiving a benefit now, but you're going to receive an even bigger benefit in heaven one day. Because when we give, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Now, I talk about all that stuff, and maybe you're listening to that, and you're thinking, Cliff, that is really, that sounds good. In fact, I kind of enjoy hearing that. That's an exciting thing that, that I've got an account in heaven. But what is that going to do for me right now? Because we're two months away from April 15th, and they're going to want more of my money that day. I know it. They, they want more of my money every year. Or I've got this bill coming up, and what does that do for me right now? Well, Paul, Paul covered that. Look at uh, verses 19 and 20. So Paul says, give what you're supposed to give and you will, your fruit will increase. And then he says this in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, the second thing I want you to understand about when we give. We give everybody wins. And the second thing is, when you give, you will always have what you need. When you give, you will always have what you need. You know what, you, what, what we ought to do, some, some of us ought to do? You ought to write that statement down. When you give, you will always have what you need. So you need to write that down across the top of your checkbook. Or if you give online, you need to post it on a post-it note and put it on the top of your computer screen or, or create a reminder in your iPhone that says, every time I open this app, open this up and tell it to me. When you give, you will always have what you need because we don't think about it in terms of that. 
But Paul says there in verse 19, he says that my God will supply every need of yours according to his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. The key word in here is needs. Because we got a lot of things that we want. Now, it doesn't say, and when you're faithful to give, God will supply all of your wants in Christ Jesus. And you know why God would never promise that? Because he knows that we're sinful and we're always going to want more than we deserve and always going to want more than we can handle. And so he says, I'm going to cover your needs, but I'm not necessarily going to cover your wants. Now, here's the great thing about God. Sometimes he gives us stuff we want too. And those are just like bonus stuff. But he says that I'm going to cover your needs. Now, now let, let, me, let me stop just a second here. I don't know how many of y'all watch TV and, uh, or, or go on the internet and just like say, I'm going to listen to a podcast and just pick some random dude. Or you turn, most people don't watch TV preachers anymore, but there used to be a big deal watching TV preachers. Let me tell you what Paul is not saying here. Let me tell you what the Bible is not teaching here. When it says God will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, he's not saying that if you put $10,000 in that bucket today, that you're going to have a $100,000 check in your mailbox next week. That's not the way it works. But see, sometimes we've said that over the years. In fact, I, I heard a guy not too long ago, he started telling all these stories about how he was giving stuff away and God was giving him jets and God was giving him cars and he was giving him all this stuff. And I thought, man, that, that, that's awesome that that happened to you, but that's a terrible thing to teach to people because what God wants us to do is he wants us to give and he wants us to give. And, and if we're giving because we think we're going to get a jet or we think we're going to get $10,000 in the mail, then our heart's still not in the right place. He wants us to give and know, I'm going to give you, God, I'm going to give you what you've asked me to give, and if all you provide for me is food to eat and a, and a place to live and clothes on my back, then that is enough. He says, I will supply for your needs from his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And see, sometimes we as Americans especially, we don't have a real good idea of figuring out what is a want and what is a need. We don't need all the things that we think we need. But he has said that he will provide for our needs. One of my favorite verses in, in the book of Psalms is Psalm 37, 25. And, and it says this. This is not on the screen, so if you can, you can write that down and look at it later or flip over to it in your Bible. Psalm 37, 25 says this. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God's saying there, if you follow me, you're going to have what you need. You're not going to have to stand on the street corner and beg. But now here's the great part of that verse. We talked last week about making sure you look at verses in context. Look at what verse 23 and 24 says. It says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. In other words, that if we're delighting in the way that God has told us to live, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. So, so, this is what the scripture tells us. What it teaches is this. If we'll give what God's told us to give, he'll take care of us. If we will delight ourselves in his way, he'll take care of us. But if we're just if we're a follower of Jesus and we're disobeying what he's told us to give, then you're on your own. I'm not saying that God doesn't love you, 
But I'm saying there that in also in, in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about that what a man reaps, that will he also, or what a man sows, that will he also reap. And in that context, in 2 Corinthians, it's talking directly about giving. And so Paul is saying to us in 2 Corinthians, and the writer of this psalm is saying to us, and what Paul says in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4 is this, that if we will give, if we will follow, even in the painful area of giving, where sometimes we think we own it all and we want to keep it, but if we will give it up, we will give to God what he's commanded us to give, we can be guaranteed that everything that we need will be provided for us. But if we refuse to give, then we're on our own. And I don't know about you, but I would rather live where Paul says in Philippians 4.19 that every need will be provided through the glorious riches of Jesus. I'd rather live in that than, than to trust myself for it. Because here's what I know about the glorious riches of Jesus. They don't run out. His riches never run out. His bank account's never empty. Mine can be. If I'm not careful. But you know what's what's great about that is that is that he uses us to, to minister to other people even as we do that. See, this whole thing with money and contentment, last week we talked about contentment because Paul addressed that and, and today we talk about money. This really comes down to that what this really all boils down to is is what we believe about God. I heard somebody the other day said that um, that your uh, th- if I can remember this correctly. He said, your stated belief, this is about anything, what you, and so stated belief, what you say you believe, plus the actions that you take equals your actual belief. All right, let me say that again. So your stated belief plus the actions that you take equals your actual belief. So here's the thing. We can say today, in fact, if, if I had a microphone and brought you up here one by one and said, hey, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you believe that God is all-powerful? All of you would be like, yes. Do you believe that God can provide everything that you need? You'll be like, yes. Do you believe the Bible is true? Yes. Cliff, I believe that we'd have like a revival in here. People would be jumping up and shouting. We'd be going crazy. Amen. Yes, I believe the Bible is true. Do you believe that God has commanded us to give in the Bible? Uh, Then I show it to you. Yes, Cliff, I believe that. Are you giving? See, we can say all day long, I believe, man, I believe Philippians 4.19, that God will supply every need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I believe that. But if you say you believe that, but your actions aren't following through on that, then you actually believe something else. So this whole thing of money and when Paul says, hey, y'all did a great job giving and all this, it really comes down to what we believe about Jesus and one of the things that we need to understand and one of the things that we need to begin to believe is that God has a bigger plan than our plan for our money when I was growing up I grew up in Columbia uh, South Carolina not South America and um, we would we went to to church in West Columbia and uh, every Sunday after church when I was a kid now what does every kid if you've got if you're a parent what does every kid want to do after church? Does anybody, does anybody else's kids like mine? What do your kids want to do after church? Go out to eat? Did anybody say go out to eat? That's what I wanted to do every week. It's like immediately, as soon as church was over, I'd run up to my daddy and go, are we going out to eat today? Can we go out to eat? And my daddy, being a smart aleck like me, that's where I got it from, he would say, yeah, we're going to the best restaurant in Columbia. It's called Jane's Kitchen. Well, my mother is Jane. And so 
And I would be all disappointed, like my mother can't cook or something, because I'd rather eat something else. But here's the deal. Every day, where I went to church, we had to drive down Sunset Boulevard in West Columbia, and we drove right past Rush's on the way home, Rush's Cheeseburgers. We would drive past that every Sunday on the way home. And every Sunday, what I wanted to eat instead is I wanted to get a Rush's Cheeseburger and a hot fudge cake, because they had hot fudge cake. They still have hot fudge cake there. You ought to get one. And so I would go, that's what I wanted to do. And I would beg, why can't we go to Rush's? I want a hot fudge cake and all that stuff. And Daddy would just say, I already told you we're going home. If you say it again, we're never going to Rush's again. And then I would be quiet. And so, but that's what I wanted. But here's the thing. I had, I just knew a little small part of what was going on in the world at that time. My world revolved around what was happening in the next 25 minutes. But my dad saw the big picture. And so my dad knew, hey, We've got, a, a, we've got money, but we've got a limited amount of money. And if we go to Russia's every single week, that's not the best use of our money. And so my dad was trying to be a better steward of our money than I was because I didn't even understand what money meant at that point in my life. So he knew that we had to pay bills and we had to do all that stuff. So I didn't get to go out to eat every week. But you know what I did? I got to stay in a house that the heat was always turned on because my daddy managed the money well where we didn't have to worry about that. I never had to worry if I had something to eat when I was at home. I never had to worry if I had a winter coat when it got cold. Why? Because my daddy managed the money well. Because he understood the big picture. But now here's the cool thing. You know what I did get every once in a while? I got a Russia's cheeseburger and a hot fudge cake. I just didn't get it every single week. And see, here's the thing. When, when we start talking about our money, God has told us what he expects us to give. The scripture's very, very clear about that. And when we hear, you're supposed to give 10%, we start to think about everything we won't be able to get if we do that. But see, God understands the big picture, and we just understand the small picture. And when we say, I don't want to give to that, you know what we're actually saying? We're saying, I would rather have my cheeseburger and my hot fudge cake than to live under the authority and the protection of the God who knows the big picture. Because what God can do with our money is so much bigger than what we can do with it. That's the, that's the cool thing. You, you realize that in, in verse 22, Paul shares this, and I love this. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, who was Caesar at that time? He was only the most powerful man in the world. And Paul is saying, because you have given to me, you have allowed me to leave, you've allowed me to go to a place that I would never be. And, and through, the, through the provision of God that allowed me to be put into prison, which is another thing we don't like to think about, now Paul is saying, I am able to have a gospel influence in the household of the most powerful man on earth. And where did it begin? It began with a bunch of people at church who were living on limited incomes saying, we trust God enough to give what he's told us to give so that Paul can go on a missionary journey. That is such a better plan for their money than what they could have planned. And God wants to do the same thing with ours. He has such a better plan for my money, my limited amount of money, than what I can plan for. And if I will trust him that I will that I will do the things he's commanded me to do, I will go the places he's commanded me to go, I will give what he's commanded me to give, what I can be guaranteed of is that all of my needs are going to be met 
And not only are my needs going to be met, but I'm going to be able to participate in ministry and in things that I could never have participated in before. Just this morning, I love how God does this sometimes where he gives me a little thing where he says, hey, what you're going to talk about today? Yeah, that's the right thing. I was listening this morning on the way here. I listen every Sunday morning. I listen to WNCW. Uh, it's a, the public radio station out of uh, North Carolina, and they play gospel bluegrass every Sunday morning, and that gets me excited for church. And so I listen to that every Sunday morning, and I was listening to this, to this morning, and there was a, a gospel bluegrass song on that said this, and I, this is not word for word, but it said, if God can raise the dead, then he will provide my daily bread. I love that because that's exactly what we're talking about today. It really comes down to whether or not we believe that the God that raised Lazarus from the dead, that the God that raised his only son from the dead, if he's powerful enough to raise people from the dead, isn't he powerful enough to make sure that I can pay my electric bill and that I can have something to eat? Now, I might have to do without Wi-Fi. I might not be able to have an Xbox when it comes out. But he will provide for my needs, and I will be able to be a part of his bigger plan. I want you to think about something as we finish. What if, what if all of us gave what God has commanded us to give? Just the minimum, just 10%. I'm not talking about getting crazy and giving 25%. But what if we all gave what God has commanded us to give? Think of the churches that could be planted. Think of the hungry people that could be fed. What if we all did what God has commanded us to do? I'm going to pray. Our band's going to come up. The front will be open. You can come and, and pray and deal with the Lord. If, if you hear this message today and you have questions, you have follow-up stuff, please uh, please talk to me. Talk to Donnie. You can get in touch with us. You can talk to us today or get in touch with us this week. This is something I'm very passionate about because, like I told you, I was not a natural giver, and God has changed my heart. If he can do it to my hard heart, I know he can do it to yours. Let's pray. Father God, this world that we live in is full of temptations and it's full of opportunities that not all are bad for us to do other things with our money than to give it to you the way you've commanded us to and it's easy for us to get caught up in our own situation and to forget that everything we're going through that everything that's going on with our checking account and money market accounts and stocks and all that stuff that you already know about it. You're right in the middle of it. And it's easy for us to feel like we're on our own and we've got to somehow create an opportunity to have more money, but we know that really everything we have comes from you. And so because you've provided for us everything that we already own, help us to be faithful. Help us to, to be faithful to give to you what you've asked us to give. You own all of it, but you've only asked us to give a part of it. 
So Father, help us not to steal from you, but to give to you what you've asked. We trust you. We know that you know best. And we look forward to what you will do when all of us are faithful to give what you've commanded us to give. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.